525,600. 8,760. 365. It's how many minutes? How many hours? How many days are in a year? And it goes fast, doesn't it, for many of us? goes slow for others, but often it goes fast in a time like this, and I'm thankful, so thankful you're, Happy New Year, by the way, so thankful you're here, and uh, you know, and it may be your first time, and it may be you've chosen, okay, this, the start of this year is when I'm going to start going to Renovation Church, and we are so glad that you're here. We realize that there are goals that are set, there's uh, New Year's resolutions that are set, there's transitions that happen in people's lives this time of year, so there's a lot going on. And we realize that, but we are so glad that you're here this morning. I do want to say this, Allie, just want to make sure that I uh, announce this. And you can put the slide back up there real quick. This Wednesday night, our prayer and worship night, just want to make sure that you note that, and I don't want to skip over that. And so make sure that's up there. And 6.30 in the fellowship hall, so if you can make that, that would be awesome. There's still some devotionals, I think, out on the counter. There was as of early this morning. I don't know if there are now, but... And if you want to continue to follow along or just catch up where, where, we, where we've been. And so, again, so thankful uh, that we're here today. Ephesians chapter 5, 14 through 17. Ephesians 5, 14 through 17. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be wise. Be awake. And of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, if you've ever been on a mission trip with me, I've, I do jar the floor, which is a mantra that I've done for, for 30 years in ministry, and that is to wake up. That's the first thing in the morning that I will yell across the gym floor or into apartments or into uh, tents, but jar the floor. That means get up, be ready to go right now. As my dad, that was how I was awakened most of my, uh, my early, I don't, know how, I don't know how early my dad started doing it, but as time went on, uh, that's how I would get awakened in the morning. And it was from my dad's barracks. He'd be in the barracks at his, when he was in the army in World War II. And they would come, his sergeant would come to the end of that barracks and just yell, jar the floor. That meant hit that floor, wood floor so hard that it shook the building. That you were ready to go. So wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up. Arise from the dead. But what I want to camp out this morning is more on redeeming the time. And it's to, the word there, redeem, is basically what it means for Christ when he redeemed us, uh, taking us from being a slave uh, to being set free. But it's, but it's regaining possession of something. You redeem it. And the term, the word here, and the Greek word here is kairos, meaning it carries an idea of an opportune time. It is a moment in time that you look at. It's not just any ordinary time. It is an opportune time. And I think for many of us, uh, it's easy to let time just pass by and you look up and you don't really see these moments that are divine moments. But the reality is, if there's, a, there's a lot of things that, that uh, we will get more of maybe as we go on. You may even get more money, but you may not get more time. And so, because time does not stand still for anyone. 
It doesn't matter how quality of that moment is. It doesn't matter how great that moment was and you want to freeze that amount of time. And we think about last summer at the wedding, you want to freeze that time, but it passes by now it's six months later. That moment you want to freeze time when you're in that delivery room and, and that child is born. I've had a chance to be in there all four times and you want to kind of freeze that moment because it's so special, but it's gone, right? That's the reason why, just a side note, that's the reason why addiction for many people is, is so hard. Is because we're trying to relive something just for that brief moment, and then it's gone again. Often that can be dysfunctional things in our life, things that we, that we shouldn't be doing that can bring harm to us. We want to relive that euphoric moment, but then it's gone again. The person I think of, and I don't, have a, I don't have a screenshot of him, but many of you will know, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, always wanting to go back and relive a moment. I want to go back to there, but that time passed. And one of the questions that I've asked often here, you know, what if you decided today, let's say there are some things really today, the resolutions that you've made, the goals you've made, or just the things that you feel like the Lord is impressing on you, or you've read an article that you know, man, that's true. I said a few weeks ago, there is a gap between our knower and our doer. When we really are convinced, that is the truth. And we really are convinced that truth applies to my life. But moving that knowledge to doing. It's as if, you know, we, if we'd have started, and one of the questions you can ask is, what if you'd have started six months ago what you knew sh- you should be doing, where would you be today? But what if you started today and six months from now, what would it look like if you began to put into practice the things you know? But for many of you in here today, The day didn't come, the new year didn't start with optimism. You may have come here today and may feel a little stuck. And you've heard us say often here, sometimes you are in a season of your life where where you look down the road and all you see is what? More road. You don't see a rest stop, you don't see an exit, you don't see those places where you can get off. And sometimes those things become seasons and they come long seasons and they become a depression almost in some people's lives. Where we begin to believe that lie is whatever our life is right now, it might be this way the rest of my life. Many times you don't know how to break out of it. And one of the things I want to address today is maybe some things that can help us with that. But often we begin to believe this lie and begins to, 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 to cycle in our, and, we, and we almost compound it by believing the lie more and more that it's always going to be this way. It's one of the things about our mind. We, we think more negative thoughts and percentage of our life, we will think, most people think more negative thoughts than they think positive thoughts. And neuroscience says it's one of the amazing things about our mind. Our mind is incredible. But one of the things about our mind is if we have a happy moment or a great moment, it's often we look at that moment and we go, wow, we know that's not going to last, and it passes. And you go, I knew that was going to happen. But if we find a negative thing, or if we're not careful, that thing will get stuck, right? And we'll look down the road and go, man, it's, it's going to get worse. The future looks bad, and you get stuck remembering backwards. And those memories are not good, and so we get stuck in this place. 
And one of the challenges there is lag time. That's one of the biggest things that we run into in making good decisions and making good decisions over and over. Because one of the challenges, if, if, whether it's health or whether eating right or exercising, it's much that way in our own lives. We may start making a good decision, but sometimes it takes a long time for it to stack up. We begin reading the Word. We begin praying. We begin five minutes, three minutes, whatever it is. Begin showing up for Wednesday night prayer meeting, whatever it is. We begin to make that, but boy, there's a lag time where the results of that feel far away. And we give up, don't we? They're just stacking those things. Is it every day, even though I don't see the results today, I'm going to continue to believe what I believe God has shown me. I'm going to continue to believe and I'm going to put into practice those things. And you look up and it's a month and it's two months and it's three months and six months and you look back and go, wow. But redeeming the time. And I'm one of the worst, man. I, I like a quick fix. I'd like to have something now. And I'm, I'm pretty bad about that. Fortunately, health-wise, some of the other things, I, I know enough about that because I've played sports long enough to know you stack those things. But in other areas of my life, I want it now. But what happens is if, we, if, we, if we're not careful, we repeat that lie and we get into this rut. And that rut, my, my, my Baptist pastor from years ago said a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. But it is that spot where it continues, we continue to dig that ditch and we almost feel like there's no way out. And I will say this for some of you, and I've, and I've shared with you before, I've, I've dealt with anxiety, I've dealt with depression, I go through those seasons along the way. And sometimes for some of you, I just want to make sure, not as a, just as a disclaimer, but just as an encouragement. Some of you may need more help than just praying it out. You may need professional help. And I want to encourage that. But for some, it is beginning to make choices and redeeming the time you have right now. You can't do anything about the last six months if you hadn't done it. It's the old saying, it's one thing to regret yesterday. It's another thing to already, already be regretting tomorrow. <laughs> or six months from now. I'm going to regret six months from now that I didn't start what I should have started. Because today, to redeem the time, the opportune time, the divine time. So one of those ways that I believe is, that I tried to remember last night I was driving home and from up here and, it, you know, it's sunset and looked out. And isn't it easy, and I don't know if anybody saw the sunset last night, but it was unbelievable, as it often is, obviously here. But one of the things I would say is we've, we, we have to be careful in missing the fact that we can marvel at the fingerprints of God. Especially as believers. How do we lose the wonder? The God of the Bible, the God that we worship, 
is omnipresent. Yes, he created everything, but he's not in, he is the creator. So if he's everywhere, when we're kind of stuck and we, and we begin to walk this out, one of the things we've got to realize, he is with us. Jeremiah 23, 23, 24 says, I am the God who is near. And not far off. Can a man hide himself in hiding places? I do not see him. So I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do do I not feel the heavens and earth, declares the Lord? To see his fingerprints, to know that he is with us, to know that he is everywhere, he feels everything. And I know folks who will, over the years, and I don't know if it's as much now, but used to stand in line for iPhones over and over and over. I think it's 15 now, right? I'm not that far. I'm not caught up where I should be, I'm sure. But people used to stand in line for days to get the iPhone. And in reality, isn't that's awesome and all the things it can do now and, all the, and, and, and the cameras that are on it. But, but we often forget of the camera that was, it's the, to do two cameras that are in our head. That 3D, that amazement of this, these eyes that we have. And seeing in 3D and being able to, we're not marveled by that. We're not blown away by that. To have a thumb that I don't even have to really think about to use. I know it sounds kind of crazy to just go, okay, I'm marveled by that. As I said earlier, to, to, to be in the room where all four of my children in the delivery room and to marvel. I remember my sales manager at, at Or Chevrolet when I was working there said to me, Bill Munn, and I wasn't a believer at the time when Sydney was born, uh, our, first, our first daughter, and he said to me, and he wasn't, I don't, he never impressed me that he was a believer at all either, so just so you know. But he said to me, but he may have been, I'm just saying, at the time I didn't, but he said, Kurt, do you believe, and I told him, you know, Sydney was about to be born. He said, Kurt, do you believe in God? I said, yeah, I probably, yeah, you know, I, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and he said, well, if you don't believe him now, he said, are you going to be in the delivery room when, when your daughter's born? I said, yeah. And he said, well, if you don't believe in God now, you will then. To marvel. To wonder. We've talked about here before that, you know, that five-year-olds, they talk about five-year-olds. Most five-year-olds, they, they, they consider geniuses in the fact of their creativity and all the things they wonder about, all the things they, their mind just says, wow, and they're amazed by. But somewhere along the way, by the time we're 25, only 5% of people. Somewhere along the way, we are conditioned, whether we're believers or not, to, to lose the wonder and the marvel of what could be. And I think some of you could probably go back to times in your life where you begin to wonder and marvel and say, hey, I think I can do this, and you begin to put steps into place. I remember as a, as a kid in my backyard there on that, little, on that hill there in Wicks, Arkansas, learning how to play basketball by myself in my backyard with a little bit of asphalt on one part of it, and there was dirt, and there were rocks, and there was mud holes, and all that, and there's a clothesline over here. You had to be real careful. You didn't get too close to that because it would clothesline you, okay? So, but I would play basketball out there for hours upon hours by myself, wondering. And I knew, I could tell you right now where those mud holes are. I could tell you where the big rock was where you had to dribble around. I could tell all that. And part of that is, I, my wonder what moved me was, and kind of my holy, 
My, my holy ground, to be honest with you, and, and my, if you know my story a little bit, it was a place I could go to escape to. It was a basketball court. But I didn't have the privilege like many kids do today, starting an NYS or, or YMCA or, or whatever, and they start playing when they're four and five and whatever. We didn't have that. So I couldn't wait for the right conditions, right? I couldn't wait till I had the perfect scenario where there was a, a concrete court or a, or a wood floor that I got to play in. I couldn't wait for that. So I had to imagine, I had to wonder, I had to use this unbelievable mind that God, maybe not mine is, but hopefully yours is, but this mind that God has given us to begin to picture a future. And it motivated me. And I knew I had to keep going out there. I'd, I'd shoot the basketball till the end of my fingers bled. And my mom would make me stop for a week because I'd shoot over and over and over. Or when it was out there raining, I would shoot and all you could see clean, everything else was muddy except the fingertips. And I would dream about playing in Barnhill Arena, which is now Bud Walton Arena for Arkansas. But I would dream about playing for the Razorbacks and playing in Barnhill Arena or Madison Square Garden. And playing with Walt Frazier, who was my hero growing up as a kid, and you may not know who he is. But the amazement and, and the wonder of picturing something that's not yet here and beginning to put into practice today with the potential for that to be lived out. But marvel. And what God has given us. And what he can do. Now, of course, I never played in Barnhill Arena or I never played in Madison Square Garden. You may say to me, well, Kurt, then your dream didn't come true. No, that may be true. I didn't do those things. There's a lot of reasons why that probably didn't happen. But what did happen was it moved me to go where God did want me to go. And to this day, basketball is one of my favorite things because reason by basketball is one of my favorite things to this day. Not only it was kind of a, an escape for me, but it was also a place where I could connect with others. And we've used basketball over the years, and, uh, and it's been, basketball has been used for years to make the connection to him as an avenue. And God has used that. I didn't know at the time. And by the way, seeing people come to know the Lord, which is my next one, I think we've lost our marvel and our wonder at seeing transformed lives. One of the hardest parts about getting stuck in this rut is that so much of our life begins to be focused on us. Everything is focused through, how am I gonna get out of this? And what happens is when we take our eyes off the mission, the purpose of why we exist, to love God and to be an avenue to love others, sometimes that's part of the reason why we're stuck. And I realize often we need help to get unstuck, to redeem the time. But, but, but one of the biggest or the saddest is that we don't look for ways to connect with people to see their lives transformed. 
That's the reason why, like I said, basketball ended up, I would have never thought basketball was going to be a tool in God's toolbox, but it did because it ended up being used to transform lives. One of the greatest joys I've ever had is hearing and knowing that someone's come to know Christ. Those who've been a part of renovation over these last 10 years or so, one of the most exciting, one of the most impactful, one of the most memorable, and you wish you could capture that moment and every week was that moment is our baptismal services. It's been incredible because new life, the marvel at God doing something in somebody's life that was going that way and now it's going that way. And I don't know for us, as, as, as consistently as we should, as we get up each day looking for ways to connect people to him. The sharing of the good news, and I remember when I came to know Christ as a, as a 26-year-old, Not only the day that it, it, it flipped mine and Jan's world around, my world specifically, then our world, that I didn't know it was going to change my whole family. I mean, it literally changed our whole family. I mean, even to the, to the point, <clears throat> even to the point of my, as growing up as a kid, we were not huggers as a kid. One of the things I became when I came to know Christ was a hugger. Now you go, okay, that's a little weird, but I don't know why. As a kid, and I knew my parents loved me, but we didn't hug that much, you know, all that. But somehow, some way, when I came to know Christ, I became a hugger. My dad and mom, and they lived another 25 years, and my mom longer than that, another 30 years after I came to know Christ, we were all huggers then. We became huggers over time. There's unbelievable things that can happen when you give your life to Christ. Because the good news, the good news of coming to know Christ should be good news for the people who are connected to you. Because something's changed in you. Because you're a person who is now generous, compassionate, understanding, listening, loving. It should be good news for everybody. And, and by the way, if it's not good news for everybody, it's maybe not good news for anybody. And what I mean by that is, if I become to know Christ, it should be good news for my neighbor. Because I'm different. I've been transformed. I'm no longer the person I was. So to marvel, to be blown away, because one of the things, and most of you maybe in here today are believers. I'm going to guess that. But sometimes, we get stuck on what hasn't happened. What God hasn't done we feel like and what he has done it's a trick of the enemy to let you focus so much on what hasn't happened what you had prayed for 
instead of getting focused on what he has done. I remember as I was a early, early on in my, in my walk with Christ, and for years, I looked for an opening to share my faith. If I sat on an airplane, or if I was at the grocery store line, or if I was just walking, I, I had people come up to me that I'd share the gospel with in parking lots because I was praying, Lord. I'd pray to the east, Lord, you bring them. Lord, I'd pray to the south. I'd pray to, to the north. I'd pray to the west. Lord, wherever they are, bring them. I want to be a part of that. Lord, I pray. But over time, what happens, right? Over time, if we're not careful, we get civilized as as. Uh, Eric McManus would say, we were kind of barbarians before. We were kind of wild, and we would go wherever and do whatever. But somewhere along the way, the system civilizes us. Dirt number three catches up with us, right, in the parable of the sower. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth come along and choke it out. It was good seed. It was powerful seed. It was anointed seed. Heard this quote from Penn Gillette years ago that just, I, I, it's just stuck with me. He's an he's a atheist, a well-known atheist, Penn and Teller. Most of you know who that would be if you know them. But he said this, he said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody? <laughs> how much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. Max Cato, and I don't have it on the screen, I'm just going to read it for you out of his book six hours one Friday. He said, there's a direct correlation between the accuracy of our memory and the effectiveness of our mission. If we don't have a passion for people to be saved, perhaps we have forgotten the tragedy of being lost. If we're not teaching forgiveness, maybe it's because we don't remember what, it, what it's like to be guilty. If we're not pointing people to the cross and Jesus' death and resurrection, it could be that we've subconsciously decided that God forbid somehow we don't need it. Can you still remember are you still in love with him? Paul begged, remember Jesus before you remember anything else. Remember Jesus. If you forget anything, don't forget Jesus. He said, how quickly forget? So much happens through the years, so many changes within, so many alterations without, so many pressures to conform, and somewhere back there we leave him. We don't turn away from him. We just don't take him with us. Assignments, promotions, budgets are made. Kids are born. The Christ, the Christ is forgotten. Has it been a while since you stared into the heavens and stood in amazement? 
Has it been a while since you realized his divinity and your humanity? Jesus consecrated his life. The example is not something we make up so we could build a theology. He set an example. I'm convinced that God's where he's always been, chasing after us. I'm convinced that the good news is as good news today as it was in 1986 when he changed my life. But somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, that gets lost. And I've shared with you before, and just in case some of you never heard it before, but I'll just share it again. For me, I don't know what what literal hell will look like. I don't know the answer to that. Do I believe it? Yes. Do I know what it looks like? No. But I can tell you what I, and I've said this before, what, what I think hell would be like for me would be to have a screen that big and I'm, for eternity I have to watch it and on one side is what life could have been if I'd have taken the time, the opportune time to do what God was asking me to do and what I chose. What could have been and what is. The turning points where we could have changed our life, beginning of 2024, to redeem the time, to marvel at what God has done. And I'm not going to tell you it's easy. And I'm not, some of you today, man, you've come and, and you're, you're, you're as about as at peace where you are with God and things are clicking. And God bless you. And I hope you still do both of these. Marvel and marvel at, marvel at God's fingerprints. Marvel at transformed lives. But for some of you today, this may be something that starts you, it jump starts you. said, man, I've got to start doing some things that I hadn't been doing. And one of the things is, and we're going to do it here in just a moment, is, is remember, right? We're going to take it on this first Sunday together of 2024. We're going to do something as a community, as a family. But as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And not in remembrance of what hasn't happened, but remembrance of what has happened, what he has done. And if he never did anything else, (laughs) it's enough. Acts 17, 27, 28 says, He is not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. And often we feel in, in, in times where where is God? And I, I love as I, as I looked at this again, the central point of the Bible is in the promises, the most frequent promise in the Bible is not, I will forgive you, but I will be with you. And he said, to understand in the last verse of that Ephesians 5.17 that I read earlier, therefore do not, be, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to read this from the message, Romans 12.1 and 2. 
Those here, here, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around us, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. And I just want to say this just popped in my head. And uh, I'd say for some of you, and this is one of the things I have to work through in my own life. And I've shared this with you before that I'm, they, they ain't nobody else going to be a worse critic on me than I am. And I critique myself like I would not critique anybody else. And one of the things I just want to encourage some of you today, have compassion on yourself. Yeah, you may have taken a wrong turn here and there. May have made a decision you wish you could go back and change. But you're here today. Have compassion on yourself. Because I have a feeling if you put that before the Lord, and you just sat across the table if you could put it in your mind's eye. And you shared with him what you maybe have been beating yourself up about. I have a feeling he would have a whole lot of compassion for you. So just an encouragement as we close today. I'm going to ask the band to come on up and we're going to move into the time of being a part of partaking of the Lord's Supper. I want to read 1 Corinthians 11, 20-28. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Won't you stand with me? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to, I'm going to read the rest of this. Just logistically real quick, just so you, those who don't know, if you would come down these aisles, the, the outside aisles, and come and return back to your seat. And you can partake of it whenever you feel led to do that. So just let you do that on your own. But I want to read this last part. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. I want to just give us just a minute. If closing your eyes helps you, again, sometimes visual helps me just sitting across the table. It's not only my Savior, but my friend. 
There's Jesus. As we've already sang today, he is worthy of it all. And maybe remember today where you were before you came to know him. If you remember that. What well, maybe has gotten in the way along the way. Lord, we just come before you today thanking you for this first Sunday together in 2024 that we gather together. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the way this whole thing works, Lord. It's really unbelievable. But Lord, we know that we live in a world that is full of chaos, if you will, or lost and Lord it can be pretty frightening at times if we don't keep looking to you but Lord we just come today before the table as a community remembering and Lord we are thankful that you didn't leave us in our mess. And Lord, for some today, I would just say those who are maybe stuck, Lord, you're with us. And often we feel a little lost. But Lord, we're not lost because you're with us and you're not lost. Lord, help us today as we walk this out. And that we would tell you and reflect to you how worthy you are to us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for these moments as a community to share. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As Josiah leads us, you come as you feel led.